Well, happy Monday, December 14th. This is Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker, and I'm joined here with my dad, Jack Brinker. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Todd. Good to hear your voice. You know, you know, today is the first Monday after the second Wednesday of December in an election year. You know what that means. Today, the electors, electors. elect. They do, yep. they do their job. <laughs> Those who've been appointed by each of the states to come and uh, and actually cast their votes for that state for the number of allotted electors, which is the number of representatives and senators combined in each state, plus three electors from the area of Washington, D.C., uh, gather to cast their votes. It's interesting that we took Washington, D.C., which is we intentionally was a is federal property it is not a um not part of any state right so the capital resides in in what is not any state and we said those people should get a voice and a vote and so we gave them three electors and yet if you live in guam an american territory or um puerto rico an american territory you don't get an elector at all yeah well you can representation see that, uh, you, you get you it get was, uh it was what was politically ahead. correct at the time you know but we I, haven't I, remedied I, that you know i i, I think mean, our system has well i hate to get into politics we're not this is not yeah. a show about politics but it isn't but it's 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 funny that you know in everybody every kid when they're growing up in their in their history and their government classes are told that we we fought a revolution because we didn't want um uh taxation without representation right Yep. That's why we that's ostensibly why we fought. It's, it's the quick and easy thing that they tell, you know, kids when you're growing up. We fought because we didn't want to be taxed without representation. And yet here we are treating Puerto Rico and Guam and US Virgin Islands the same way. We're taxing them. They're American citizens. They got to pay their taxes, you know. Absolutely got to pay your taxes or we'll hunt you down and throw you in jail. But you don't get any representation. But I think we spend more there than we get in taxes. <laughs> probably probably yeah, we nonetheless we, we should e we should either or fish or cut bait you know <laughs> yeah although frankly i like the idea of places like puerto rico and american virgin islands and it's ostensibly guam they're beautiful paradise type of island places that we can go visit we don't leave the united states we don't have to worry about weird rules and laws that we don't know about and everybody speaks english and it's like okay cool let's keep them but let's you know treat them fairly yeah the that would be nothing but a bug bug haven if if you didn't have somebody like the U.S. to support them because there's nothing there really to make money. It's, it's an extremely poor nation, you know. It's not and, a yeah. Uh, it's not a, it's not a nation. It, it's a territory. It's part it, well, of the richest nation in the world. Right. But you're right. There's not a lot there. But, they they because, um, of, because of tourism, uh, tropical storms and hurricanes and stuff. They yeah. uh, they get wiped out on a regular basis. Yeah, it's tourism. It's tourism, just like Jamaica and Haiti and, you yeah. know, I mean, they live on tourism. You know, yeah. all of those 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 uh, uh, island countries get by on tourism largely. There's not a lot of ground there and a lot, not a lot of arable ground that you can grow things on. So a lot of the food has to be shipped in. Uh, so, you know. I say make them, you know, maybe we need a 51st state. And what we do is we combine them all together and say, you know, the state of Islandia. And they're all <laughs> islands. And they're all just one state. 
because uh, you know because they're islands in all one state, they all have the same problem. So we just put them together, right? Because that makes sense. <laughs> anyway, Even though they're now that I've offended island. everybody on every island nation in the world. <laughs> So, um, in the world of tech, so I was reading an article in Wired that was published on the 9th talking about the, um, the Mac mini, the new Mac mini and the M one chips. And, uh, it pointed out a few things that I, I guess I wasn't super cognizant of, but, uh, but then they also sounded a little like they were, you know, living in a, in a bubble as well. They were welcoming basically Apple to the to the world of switching from Intel to, to, uh, arm based chips because the end of 2019 app, uh, windows came out with their own arm based chip, the SQ one, which they're running the Microsoft surface pro X on. And apparently both, um, uh, Google and Amazon have created some of their own custom chips for, uh, devices as well. But the author seems to, either be ignorant of or just neglected the fact that Apple's been making their own ARM-based chips for technology devices for over a decade. And and then further, I'm not quite sure how he can compare the Surface Pro X to any of the Apple-based M1 things because the Surface Pro X is a complete dog that has been barely selling because anybody who uses it finds out that, A, it can't run any Microsoft software that was compiled for Intel because it's too slow, it's way underpowered, and even when you have compiled software for it, it doesn't work very well. It's just it's slow. Uh it 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 uh it well, doesn't it's it's not economical in its battery use. It's it's, it's bad. It, it's it's uh it's a software company trying to make another piece of hardware. The only hardware they've been successful with is their game stuff. Yeah. You know? Anyway, yeah, it's, uh, but this this <clears throat> this idea that somehow Apple is just coming to the to the table, making their own custom hardware is ridiculous, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, in the article, um, the the writer Christopher Null uh, is writing for Wired, says that uh, um, that uh, you know he makes a point of of, of saying that that uh, things running under Rosetta are significantly slower than uh, native apps. But he doesn't point out that things running under Rosetta are as fast or faster than they would have been running on native hardware. Well, that's that's a part of our biased media again. You know, it's yeah. in the tech world as well as politics. It's Everybody's got a bias. There's the Apple haters and the Apple lovers. And, yeah. Uh, and it's just an ever-ending you know. war. If you read further down into the article, he talks about the fact that the M1 is significantly faster, uh, in fact, roughly three and a half times faster on most tasks and up to six times faster on some some tasks um, uh, uh, that that, uh, deal with graphics. And if you go into the machine learning type of tasks, it's 15 times faster than Intel because it has its own 16 core neural engine built into the into the system on a chip. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he does have a paragraph that talks about how fast it is and how little energy it uses to do that compared to uh, Intel um, equipment, mm-hmm. you know. But then he also, um, you know, he re- refers to the um, the Rosetta emulator as a, a standby to fill in any gaps uh, to let Intel, uh, Intel-designed applications run on the Mac Mini. 
just a lot slower than native code, but at least it runs, you know? And it's like, yeah, yeah but, but you could have just as easily said slower than native code, but faster than it would have run on an Intel computer. Because right. that's the case. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's like there is no step. It's, it's, it's a transition thing. It's going to be gone in a couple of years, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But but as a transition thing, running a, you know, he, he neglects the fact that most apps running on, a, on an M1 Mac will run Intel software faster than the Intel, than the, and an Intel chip in an equivalent computer. Mm-hmm. And they and because Apple's in the transition, you can go compare directly with the current Intel computer running current Intel chips, and the current uh, Mac or M1 Mac, and it it's faster on the M1 Mac running an emulation than it is on running natively on the Intel chip. Now, granted, it's slower than it would be if they had compiled the app natively for the M1 Mac, which would be even faster yet. But either way, it's faster than an Intel computer, and they yep. didn't say that. In fact, they implied by the way they structured their sentences that, well, at least it, it'll, you know, you can lump through. And in fact, I, it's funny because when I was reading this, I actually went back and said, was this something that was written prior to or released prior to the release of the M1 chips? You know, so this was just a, a supposition or something, because this is the first article I've read where somebody didn't come out and just say, holy moly, these things are fast. You know, they are faster than Intel computers, hands down, every which way but loose. Um, yeah. You know, now I, I have read that several um, apps, particularly if you if you have a a, um, a custom app that's written for a specific field of, of work, that it may not run properly under Rosetta or run at all under Rosetta. There are some apps out there that just flat out won't. Yeah. You know, particularly well, if they have if they use some non-standard calls to system services. Sure. Yeah, that, you you can never provide 100% coverage on those kinds of things, but, yeah. you know. They, they, but you know Apple shooting, knows that. Go ahead. They're shooting for the high 90s, you know, but. Yeah. Apple knows the, the apps that get used the most on a Mac. And they say, well, you know, we'll look at the top, you know, 100. And if we can if we can make those all run, then we're good. You know, and if, it, if you know, you go beyond the top 100. All right. It may work. It may not just a risk you take by not having a uh product from mm. first of all from apple <laughs> there's always yeah. a risk as soon as you step away from the from the company who owns this the, pro, the hardware and mm. uh and then secondly uh if uh if the company that you you bought the software from uh is a good cooperator they really you know make a lot of stuff for apple they want to and they have a reputation to depend, so they'll they'll stick with you, you know, or help you out. Yeah. But anyway, a lot of these things you don't know. Some oftentimes you have a job that's only one piece of software out there, and it's by somebody nobody knows, but it does the job for you, and you love it. And then something comes along and slams the door shut in your face, you know. So mm-hmm. it's just the chances you take in life. By the way. Remember what was out just been announced when we were together last week? The new AirPods Max. Right. All sold out. Yeah, you can't get them until March. <laughs> <laughs> Although I read an article that says there's a little bit of a trick, and I went and checked it, and sure enough, it was right. I didn't buy any, but if you buy your AirPods Max, if you really want them, you can get them about a month sooner if you go and have them engraved. If you select to have them engraved, 
for whatever reason, they must have a certain amount of stock set aside for engraving, mm-hmm. and you can get those a month sooner. Now, that'll well, probably dry up pretty quick. Sure, that so makes you get them in, more money for them, right? <laughs> but you can get them in February. Well, actually, it doesn't cost you anything to engrave, so it's a free service they provide. So it doesn't oh. make them any any more money. Um, it just, uh, you know. But then if you ever plan to resell them, you don't want your name or anything on them. I know right. that I took an Apple Pencil at one time and had, um, when you ordered it, you could have free engraving on it. So I put my phone number on it because I figured if I lose the pencil, at least somebody can pick up the pencil and call me. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure what would be a good reason. I guess that's as good as any for having engraving. Right. But it yeah. used, to, used to be back when I was a kid, anything that was engraved was just to make it personal, right? It was right. like a gift thing, you know? So. Yeah. I know that, um, you know, a lot of early on, I mean, Apple has offered the service for quite a while. And back when they were selling uh, iPods, you could order your iPod through Apple engraved. And a lot of people did that to put their name on it. So you could identify child A's from child B's, that kind of thing, if you were giving them to kids. Um, yeah. You know, it just made it made it easier to, to tell them apart. Uh, or get a no different argument, color. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, color. you get different colors. You know, but I mean, also, you didn't want them to, you know, kids at different times, you know, sometimes it can be your kids, sometimes it's your, your you know, your in-laws kids or your neighbors kids can be a little unscrupulous and they'll just grab it and say well that one's mine i've had that one you know and you put somebody's name on it that's hard to do so you just you solve that problem <laughs> you know you know it's it's not you know the kids are you know kids do things like that they're little they're learning right and wrong and they you know even when they're in their teens they don't always have it quite figured out so sometimes having their name on it's not a bad idea but yeah uh, but if you plan on ever reselling it then it's a bad idea <laughs> Speaking of selling, Amazon jumped in apparently and bought a bunch of those uh, Maxes and and uh, well, no, I'm not. I'm sorry, not there. It's on eBay. People are are selling their oh. Maxes for over a thousand dollars. Some cases. Yep. You want one real yep. bad? You got the money. Why? I guess so. <laughs> I tell you what, the, given the price that they're selling them for, you'd have to want one real bad because you know uh, these are over five hundred dollars for a pair of headphones. Over five hundred dollars for a pair of headphones. I had to say that twice because it's yeah. almost unbelievable. And, and there's one review by TechCrunch. Their hands-on review of the AirPods Mac. It says very high quality. Apple should charge more. <laughs> <laughs> I've also heard people say that they're very concerned. Now you know they 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 start shipping on the fifteenth, so they won't be out to people's hands. The, 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 if you were lucky enough to order them right away and get them early, um, you'll see them this Wednesday. But there's been some concerns because if you look at their specs, they're about uh, twice the weight of, say, a pair of Bose or Sony noise-canceling headphones. Oh, they're heavy. Because the entire frame is stainless steel and aluminum, whereas Bose and Sony's are made out of high-impact plastic. Mm. And stainless steel and aluminum. Yeah, okay. Well, you know what? I think, (laughs) I, I mean, plastic can be crap. Sometimes plastic is appropriate. If you want something yeah. that's lightweight, you know, you can make luxurious and well-built things that are out of plastic. I mean, I have a pair of, of Bose nose-canceling headphones that I've had for a long time, and uh, and they work fine, you know. And I know there are some people who poo-poo the sound quality, and, and they're expecting these apples to have really good sound quality. But uh, uh, the other things with these the, the Apple uh, headphones, like if my Bose headphones uh, or the Sony um, noise-canceling headphones, if the battery dies... 
they come with a cord that you can take and plug into a jack on the side of it and plug it directly into a uh, an audio jack and you can listen to them and they just they become passive headphones apparently yeah. apples do not do that so if the battery dies they are worth nothing to you they you, you cannot play them at all hmm. um, and so they make no noise. are they rechargeable yeah they're they're all of them have a, a, a you know a NICAD or whatever type of battery built into them and mm-hmm. so you can recharge them. They say that the apples can, in, in 10 minutes of recharging, can give you 90 minutes of music, and a full charge will give you 20 hours. So, I mean, if you're flying on an airplane or something, you can charge them up and take them on the trip, and you don't have to worry about recharging them. But that's typical. That's about what the Bose and the Sony do as well. I think they're like 18 hours a piece, something like that. So, hmm. You know, I'm a little surprised that they don't have an apple on the side of them. If you look at the picture of them, they don't have the logo anywhere that's obvious. Really? Hmm. No, I didn't look at them yeah. that close. All the pictures I've seen, they just have uh, smooth sides. I mm. guess they figured that their design is iconic enough that people will know what it is, right? Because it kind of looks like a giant Apple Watch, you know? I mean, it's, they got that kind of square, you know, mm. pillow shape to them, to the to the base, and then the headphones stick on them. And then the, uh, you know, and then they've even got the watch crown up on the side of one of them, so... Mm. But uh, I got to say, too, though, you know, just in looking at them, I don't find them that attractive. I don't think they're particularly good-looking headphones, but, but you know, they don't look bad either. They're just, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they're another uh, big money maker for them. Yeah, you know, given that... Apple, everything Apple touches seems to turn to gold for them these days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously they're they're sold out. I mean, I don't know how many they made, but you know, there's probably a lot of people who are Apple fan people, and and I count myself among them. I tend to be an Apple fan person. I like their products, but yeah. there's no way on earth. I mean, unless I win the lotto, I'm not spending five hundred dollars for a pair of of these things, noise canceling, and you know, I mean, unless I unless someday when when COVID's done and I can walk into the store and put a pair on my head and listen through them, and they literally send shudders through my body of joy, I can't imagine spending that kind of money. It's just that, you know, there are so many other things that I would buy before a pair of, of wireless headphones at that cost. You know, yeah. the other thing they've been they've been uh, knocked for is their case or what they're sent calling a case. It's it's basically just sort of a wrap that goes around the head, the, the ear cushions, the ear cans. It does. It's yeah. not a hard case. It doesn't uh, it doesn't uh, doesn't even protect the cushions on the bottom there. It basically just kind of. It's almost like the case that's on the iPad that closes around but doesn't wrap around the side, the ends of it, the sides, you know? Yeah. It, like, covers the front and the back, but it doesn't cover the ends, the sides at all. And apparently, the only way to put it into ultra-low power mode, there's no on-off switch on the thing. So the only way to put it into ultra-low power mode is to slide it into this smart case. Hmm. Which, by all accounts, it's I, I've heard it described as everything from... Uh, it looks like a brassiere to it looks like someone's butt. <laughs> and that's exactly what you want as a designer, is people to go, hey, look, it's the butt case. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, they say sex sells. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brassiers and butts. Okay. Go Apple. Yeah. So, so, you know, more power to them. Go make some money. You Speaking know, of- I know they've been struggling. <laughs> yeah 
Speaking of products, it looks like there's some talk about uh, an autonomous car coming out uh, sometime. Uh, what did it say? 22 or something like that. Yeah. From so, uh, Apple. Oh, Apple. Project, yeah. Project Titan. It's it's still out there. Yeah. They just changed the uh the guy who's heading it up because uh I can't forget yeah. his name, but he'd retired once and they sucked him back in to work on it and he retired again. Bob Bob Mansfield. Right, Mansfield finally just said, Look guys, I'm I'm I really, really do want to retire. I'm, I wasn't joking when I tried to retire the last time. Right. And so uh, they finally let him go. He got got things going the way they wanted and they got somebody else to run it. So. Well it's too bad because it's hard to say the other guy's name. Giannandrea. Giannandrea. I guess that's yeah. how you say long name. Yeah. And I and I've I've seen his name before, so he's been around. It's not like he's brand new, but uh uh yeah, I don't I don't really don't don't know anything about him, so uh we'll see how it all plays out. So Yeah. Well, everybody's getting serious now about electric cars, and so what's next uh, but self-driving cars, you know, at least in the taxi business or something. Yeah. Somebody, somebody was saying that that's going to impact on the, the uh, what's the other two two guys? That, that, that oh, two, Uber and Lyft? Yeah, Uber and Lyft. Yeah. Well, they're also fairly big in the, um, at least Uber is, in trying to design self-driving cars because apparently part of Uber's business model was that they would launch with people being drivers, but that they would eventually transition to self-driving cars and that that was their business plan all along. And so they have actually done a lot of research in self-driving as well. And in fact, mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty sure them and, and uh, uh, they, they there's been some lawsuits back and forth between them and I think Google because Google had a self-driving car program and they hired a guy away from uh, Uber and then Uber ended up suing because they said he was using um, uh, using proprietary knowledge that he lifted from Uber when he, before he left. So yeah. there was that whole back and forth. But, uh, you know, I, I look forward to that. I mean, I like driving, but there's also very much times that I would be happy to, you know, hit a button and, and you know, have it when I arrive um, you know I I had a short period of time when I was a commuter and uh, where uh, well there was a period where I drove my car with a bunch of guys and we parked it and then we drove it back uh, uh, well I parked it near a train station we came in on the right. train and then I just used that as a car to get to the work you know it was a big yeah, enough from the station to the office in. right yeah. right but anyway, the train time, I, I learned to enjoy that. You know, you get on yeah. there and have a cup of coffee and uh, sit back and read. And, you know, it didn't take that long. It wasn't a long commute, but 20 minutes yeah. or so, and and you were there. But it was a stress-free given the area. Well, it went, went right by Corona, so <laughs> I avoided all yeah. that next stuff. Went into Hawthorne, yeah. actually, from San Bernardino. Yeah, I looked at it when I was working downtown Los Angeles, and there were just too many gaps in the transition for me to use public transit. I would have loved to do it. I did it one time and went, you know, I did as much research as I could. I did it one time and went, no, this just isn't going to work. Because where I was at, I had to take one train into Orange County. I had to stand out on a platform and wait for another train that then took me into L.A. Then when I got to L.A. at the um, at their uh, 
you know, main train station. I transferred then to a L.A. Uh, I think it was the Red Line subway train that took me down um, Wilshire Boulevard towards where I worked. But the problem was about two miles shy of where I worked, the train stopped because they they had to quit making tunnels because. Guess what? The La Brea tar pits are right there, and apparently nobody considered that that might be a problem trying to put a tunnel through a tar pit. Um, and so so they stopped the trains there, and then I had to get out, and then I had to wait with about 200 other people to get on a bus that would then take me the rest of the way down. And there were so many people crowding onto these, like, 75-person buses, and every time one would show up, more people would come from the from the subway would be coming up. And so there was always a giant mass of people there. I stood there for about 20 minutes and watched three buses go by and never was able to fight my way through the crowd to get my turn to get onto the stupid bus. So I walked the last two miles to my work that day and said, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, you know, it's like too many train changes and, and vehicle changes. It's like I literally had, you know, the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles. I had two of the three in, in one morning commute and went, no, that's too much. Yeah. You know, now I did consider um, there was like monthly parking you could pay for back down at the train station. And so instead of taking the subway, I considered like t- taking uh, a car and parking it at the train station and then getting on the train and driving into work each day. But then the issue became. One of two things. There were only two times during the day that I could leave. One would be, uh, there was a 5.30 train taking me back home, and there was a 6.30 train taking me back home. I could never make the 5.30 train because I worked until 5.30. So I couldn't make the 5.30 trains too early. So the mm-hmm. 6.30 train, I had to leave. And to get to there at 6.30, I would have to leave at uh, 5.45. I'd have to give myself 45 minutes to go the seven miles through L.A. traffic to get to the train station park and get onto the train. And if I missed it, then I was either stuck there all night or I had to take that car that I left parked there and drive it home that night. And then I looked at the cost and how often that was likely to happen and when I had to work late. And I just said, you know, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I'll just drive. Yeah. I'll just drive. Well, you know, uh, I I was just reminded of a study that uh, TRW guys did. I wasn't a part of the study, but I read about it. Or actually somebody told me about it. Uh, And that was that Ultimately, uh, in, as far as commuters go, uh, multiple modes are just fine as long as they're coordinated. And so they, they concluded in the study the best overall system was a centrally controlled system where right. the guy who, you know, you controlled, you, kn- you knew all the timelines for the train, for the buses, for the cars, you know, every mode of transportation you can think of. Uh, you know, you coordinate all of that. And, and of yeah. course, today that coordination is all automated uh, coordination as well. Mm-hmm. So, but at the time they did it, I don't know if mm-hmm. they were thinking, I think, of a major mainframe automation kind of a deal. Now now it's much more. Yeah, you could do it on your phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's centralized or whatever. But yeah, I will uh, say, though, that, that that also has issues with you have to get into the real nitty gritty, because, you know, if one of those legs happens to be on a bus, well, buses are subject to traffic delays. And so they may not hit a certain spot at a certain time because of built in traffic issues. Yeah. Unless you have a uh, you know, some cities have special lanes that only run the buses in. You know, if you do that, then OK, then you can have buses that run on time. Yeah, well. Uh, I think ultimately today, since everybody has phones that does this kind of work, is that your smartphone uh, t- should tap into some central place and tell you what your options are, you know, right. as you arrive at a certain time, you know. 
and what's the best way to do it. And then you, you know, you may have some choices there, but uh, at least you'll be a, it'll be optimized for you personally, which is really what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, for me, the issue wasn't so much um, uh, timing because it seemed like the timing worked well from one to the other to the other. I was able to get to each you know, step along the way. Now I did it one day. If I'd have done it multiple times, I might've found that the timing on certain days were off and it would have been a mess, but the timing seemed good. And there was enough, enough times that it was running that like when I got from the train, from the main train that covered the most distance to the subway, there were enough subway runs that I didn't have to wait long to catch the next subway train. Um, and when mm-hmm. I got off the subway, there were enough buses that I, I you know, it, the issue wasn't getting on uh, timing for buses. It was capacity. There just wasn't enough, bus seats for enough people to get on, um, you know, or, or standing space even. So, um, so it was, you know, it, there was too many exchanges in my mind, uh, and, and too much, I mean, granted Southern California is real, relatively nice weather, but right now today it happens to be kind of rainy and drizzly outside the day that I did this transportation. It was in the winter. It was cold. It wasn't drizzly, but it was overcast and windy. And so, You know, when I took the first train and had to stop in Orange County to make the transit to the train that was going to take me into Los Angeles, I had to stand on an outdoor platform in the cold and and Mm -hmm. it was uncomfortable. And then the train shows up and I get on the train and that was fine and got in there. And then the transition from the train to the subway was fine because I never left the building. I mean, basically went from one level down to the next level and then took the subway train out and that was fine. But then I got out to where the bus was and I had to stand out on a curb with 200 of my closest strange friends and wait for the next bus to come. And I, you know, and it came fairly quickly, but then I, you know, unless I wanted to be really aggressive and go fight for my spot on a bus, which I just didn't feel like, it's like, I'm not going to go fight people for a spot on a bus. Screw it. I'm going to walk for the last couple of miles. So I did. Um, and I was cold and uncomfortable walking the next couple of miles through not the best part of Los Angeles down the miracle mile. And it was just, it was, it was not a pleasant experience. Um, although I will <laughs> say later, I didn't, I didn't go home that way because later that afternoon I picked up my new car. And so yeah. I did it that very specifically that day so that I would, wouldn't have, you know, a car with me so that I could then drive my new car home. Now, if, if I had gotten there and they'd said, sorry, your car's not ready, I would have probably, you know, exploded and screamed at somebody. Like, yeah. No, I'm not going back on that train. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you, you know, one of the things about autonomous vehicles is I don't see any reason for any one person to, or to be personally own an autonomous vehicle. Yeah. That's really just a part of a fleet of taxis. Don't right. Well, that's the idea behind the Uber thing is, right, that it, yeah. you won't own a car anymore. You just need right. a car. You just schedule it. And if you need a car on a regular schedule, just pick the schedule and program it, which also means that you won't necessarily get the same car every day, which does mean if you leave something in the car, you may have trouble tracking it down. Right. But the cost of, uh, of ownership is then shared by all people, so it's uh, much less. Right keep the cost yeah. down well and the and the the use i mean let's face it when you own a car most of the time your car is sitting somewhere right right it's it's in it's in your driveway or your garage it's in in a parking lot at work or you know at a, at a shopping mall or the grocery store but most of the time it's just sitting there right yep. so why couldn't it be doing something else letting somebody else drive you know and, and you sharing the cost with that you know you but you, you know i was a, a, a i was group. thinking though that americans They'll never really want to transition away from it because it's always the case where you're not worrying about commuter traffic. I wanted to go travel to visit my my cousin in the next state over, you know, or whatever. Right. You know, uh, and I don't know if you'd ever 
commuter vehicles mm-hmm. would ever be used to for long distance kind of transport. But maybe then you'd just take one of those commuter vehicles to a train or whatever, some other thing right. like that. Possibly, or or they could also, you know, say you subscribe to um, a service that provides you, you know, X number of hours or X number of miles of transportation. Then you could also go in and log in and pay a little extra for a, uh, you know, for some vacation travel. And then a different car shows up, one that's designed to handle more mileage and is made for longer hauls and is a little bit more spacious, right? And that car then would take you the longer drive. And then when you get to city or, or town or wherever you want to be, then you go back to using the local commuter cars to get around that town. Now, see, the one thing I was thinking about commuter cars is I think they're going to suffer in terms of comfort because they're going to necessarily be small. You don't want a three or four passenger car a lot of times, you know. Now, now you may pick up two or three passengers on one trip. I don't know. Uh, how that would work I think out. that would be an option, right? When you subscribe, you can say, hey, do you want to save 10% by, by sharing rides, or do you would you rather just be able to be you know, alone in your car? Yeah, could be. So, You know, and but, quite frankly, I can see them also now saying, you know, built into the car, in addition to, uh, to a battery pack, they'll have a tank full of, of, um, of, uh, you know, antibacterial or antiviral sprays, right? So when you get out of the car, it closes itself up and cycles a whole bunch of, of Lysol through the middle of the car. And, and so the car <laughs> self sanitizes after each person gets in and out, right? I, I think we're going to go to infrared lamps or something to do that instead of chemicals. Well, it could, could, could go both ways, right? Yeah, I'm sure they'll can, can, they'll they'll probably spray some sort of things. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they tend to be a little caustic, but uh, but they can use infrared lights to to sanitize, but then spray a um, a uh, air freshener in there so that the bo of the person who was using the car in front of you doesn't linger. Yeah, you know, because you know there's also going to be people who who you know smoke or something in the car, even though they're not supposed to, right? And so there'll be the smell of some some cigar or something or or some some other. Uh, you know, fragrant herb that you may not want to smell when you're getting in your car, which that's yeah. the downside of sharing vehicles, right? People's yeah. crumbs and crap are in the car. But but there's all kinds of people that are uh, 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 impacted by fragrances, too. So you got to be real careful what you do. Yeah. You know, yep. They probably just try to keep it clean air as much as possible. Right. Yeah. But I think they will increase the amount of airflow that's available in the cars that compared to what we oh. have today, right? Oh, yes, yes. That's that's definitely the case. In fact, design them so that the the jet comes on like a um like a like one of those blowers that you use to blow leaves around in your yard, right? It blows the seat so that if there's any crumbs or anything, it all gets blown out and have it designed so that it blows out uh to falls a, out the back. Huh? <laughs> falls out somewhere outside the vehicle, right? It just blows it out very quickly. Yeah. Um you have to design that into it so that it's, you know, it's self it's self What we're really speculating here is what the future will look like, and I don't know what, what we're talking about, whether it's 10 years or 50 years, but, you know, it's going to be pretty dramatically different in 50 mm-hmm. years. I mean, if you look ahead. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, think, I think that we're going to see some of this in 10 years. Like you said, that we're talking two or three years away from some of the first self-driving cars, and initially they're going to be like you, you or I will go and buy one. But at some point, that's going to transition. People are going to go, why on earth are we buying these? We'll just join a service that provides the cars, and they'll just show up when I need them. Yeah, yeah. 
But but by the way, they the, the, they're now also talking about uh, very soon manufacturing cars without the steering wheel. You know, they decided that they're good enough that they don't they don't need to have that precaution anymore. Yeah. The, the, and I think that'll take a little longer than people think, but that'll certainly happen <laughs> as the as you. Well, well, As they transition I, away from personal ownership, they will transition away from, from steering wheels. I well, think those two things will go together. Well, what, what I think they're going to do is to, first of all, verify another mode of, of, a, of a steering wheel that I can walk in with. You know, I set it down on my lap and I'll control, you know, so set of controllers. It's just radio connected yeah. to the car. So it's they'll like still a game have controller? The, they'll still have the ability to do what you do with a steering wheel car. But somehow it, it will be set up so that, you you know, the average user doesn't touch, doesn't have to have that. But if I want right. to go rescue a car or do something with it, I can drive it by having this other little box with me, you know? Uh-huh. So it's just yeah, remote. Yeah, it'll be like a game controller. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, and you always want to have that ability, whether you want it permanently in the car or not. You just want the capability to from a mechanic standpoint to control things and make right. the car do things. So, yeah. Well, there might even be a physical attach point so that you can have something that's more mechanical if you need to, if there's problems with the electronics. Although that said, they'll probably have self-driving tow trucks that'll come and just scoop the car up and yeah, <laughs> take, take it in. So, you know, why would you want to have to drive it in somewhere? Have it, you know, your self-driving tow truck will go pick it up and bring it back and drop it off at the repair place. So. Yeah, could be. Anyway, lots lots of things to think about that are somewhere down the road. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I'm I was looking through here. It caught my attention, and I, this was actually projecting the the announcements that came last week. And somebody said here they may unveil a new sixth generation Apple TV hardware. I, I how long has it been since the last one? Do you know? Um, gosh, I want to say probably three or four years. And the, the last one was just basically they took their their uh, their existing one and upgraded it to handle 4K. So the mm -hmm. Apple TV 4 and the Apple TV 4K physically uh, and internally are essentially the same. They just changed the graphics chip out on it or the graphics capability so they could handle the 4K TVs as those became more popular. And they're not, it's not that old. Um, so I, I, I was just wondering what the motivation would be for somebody to think that there'd be a need for a new uh, new generation Apple TV. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of when you, what you connect it to, uh, all, I don't think anything yeah. is changing there, although they're changing the size of TV screens and all those other things, but it still right. doesn't affect the electronics of... Yeah. Uh, well, the, the so so the Apple TV HD came out in 2015, and the 4K variant came out in 2017. So it's been three almost four years yeah. since they uh, came out with a new one. Maybe um, the only thing I've heard is that they might want to put a more powerful chip into it than they've had previously, because that way they could um, uh, more easily handle gaming, and that this that this system could actually compete uh, against the. Uh, you know, PlayStations and, and Xboxes of the world, whereas right now, while it supports gaming 
controllers. And uh, I mean, it just recently got to the point where it could support more than one gaming controller, which is, you know, sort of a, a have to to be able to fight in the in the gaming world. Um, mm-hmm. And it's certainly, you know, they've got chips that would give them enough power to be able to compete against those gaming systems if they wanted to. So it's just, you know, a matter of how much do they want to. Uh, you, you know what I'm thinking is is with Apple's integration capability, they're going to have a system on a chip for the TVs, just like they do with uh, for computers and, and iPods. Everything is a system on a chip now. And so mm-hmm. uh, whatever you needed to do, uh, and clearly everything that requires a large screen display with participants and, and whatever and sp- external speakers and all of that, it can better be handled by a, a special purpose chip that is designed to do what you want, you know, what you expect the uh, capabilities will be needed for the functioning. Uh, and, and the big thing is games have always been a real driver in terms of performance. So I'm thinking they may have uh, improved, uh, uh, can improve the performance for uh, the Apple TV in the same sense that they did for the uh, computers just by uh, the shared memory concept. You know, some of those sort of technologies that were first introduced with the new M1 uh, will will find their way into other all of their other smart system on chip devices. And uh, maybe Apple TV is is one of those that should should really use that because of the gaming yeah. side aspect. Yeah, no, I agree. That's what I'm saying. I think if if there's going to be an upgrade to the Apple TV, it's going to be essentially one that makes it a better gaming system so that they can handle more complex games and compete directly against uh, the PlayStations and Xboxes of the world. And, you know, if yeah. you've seen the most, they just in, introduced new new uh, new generations of both of those devices, and they look like old tower PCs. They Both of them stand 20 inches high, and they're, you know, a couple inches wide. They're big rectangular box and then you see the little apple tv the size of a hockey puck and it can do what you know theoretically could do what those other ones could do and then some Um, oh yeah but right now it has the uh apple a10x fusion in it which is the same uh i mean the a10 was introduced in the iphone 7 um and the x version of it is the same one that's in the 10 and a half inch ipad pro so this is the iPad Pro that came out that still had the old iPad design before they went to the flat-edged versions, which was the 11-inch iPad. So this is 2019 era, 2017, 2018, 2019. Like I said, the Apple TV 4K was 2017. So they used that chip for, for some of these other devices for a year or two. But, you know, that's a A10X Fusion, and we're on, what, A13s now? Yeah, I think it was 13, 14, 13 14, or 14. Wasn't it? A14? Uh, I, yeah. I can't be sure. I thought it was. I, I, I lose track uh, of what's, you know, <laughs> their numbering system. The or, iPhone no, 12. Version 14 of the software, wasn't it? 14 point Yeah, something. no, the, it's the Apple A14 Bionic is the current chip in the A, in the iPhone oh, 12s. Okay. Yeah, so it is the 14. So it's, it's four generations back right now in the Apple TV 4K. So I could see them saying, okay, it's time to upgrade that. You know? Yep. But it is the A10X Fusion, not their, just the regular A10. So it has uh, it has 12 cores in it. Uh, yeah. It has um, 
Uh, oh, the graphics graphics card has 12 cores. It has three high-performance cores and three high-efficiency cores in the CPU, six cores. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, so but I, you know, I think, you know still we, pretty we've capable. Had, we've had a lot of A chips, and I think those have fundamentally been for the iPods, right? Uh, phones and iPods, I guess. But ultimately... Uh, something like the Apple TV, that's sufficiently different that they'll probably call it uh, G for game. I don't know. <laughs> G for, you know. Yeah. yeah, possibly. Yeah, they'll they'll do a custom version for that one that maybe um, ups the graphics capabilities so that it's, you know, because a lot of the, um, the uh, gaming PCs that are custom built and the gaming devices have, uh, have um, you know, custom GPU built in right. to do that. And so in order to oh. keep up in that world, maybe this one would have that bumped up a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so that that's a almost, I think we figured it out. That's the reason that we're going to get the next Apple uh, TV. And they may even rename it to the Entertainment Center or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, or instead of Apple TV, it'd be, you know, Apple TV and gaming or something, you know? Yeah, but the, you can ATG. cover both of the... <laughs> no, 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 ATT. <laughs> mm -mm. Oh no, not ATT. ATG. You know, instead of ATV, oh, it's ATG. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. That's all the marketing guys' brains thinking about that. That's um. So um, this morning, sometime today, Apple is supposed to release iOS fourteen point three. And Apple TV OS 14.3, and iPad OS 14.3, and Watch OS, whatever the next one is, because it's not 14.3, and Mac OS, whatever the next one. They're all supposed to launch today, largely to bring us Apple Fitness Plus service. They're all going to add this new function, Apple Fitness Plus. So you'll be able to do uh, guided workouts on your television or your phone or your iPad, and it'll integrate with your watch to keep track of the calories that you're burning and the time you've exercised and what your heart rate is and whether or not you're working hard enough or whether you're stretching. And it'll be interesting to see what they actually have. Hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. Sometime today, I will uh, I will sweat to the oldies or whatever the <laughs> whatever it is. I mean, I can pick any music I want from my iTunes uh, my Apple Music library, right? And I can play music along with it. It's supposed to be integrated with Apple Music, so you can uh, do that. And it'll show my rings on the screen, so if I'm closing rings, doing the exercise. So we'll see. Yeah. I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. But, if, if but... I know I know you're 3,000 miles away, but if you hear me going, <gasps> uh, <laughs> you know I overdid it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the I, I, another thing that I wanted to bring up that I thought was kind of interesting from a business standpoint is it says the title is Apple likely to offer Mac, iPad, and Apple Watch hardware subscriptions. Okay. Interesting. So if they're too expensive for most people, then if they have a use or a temporary use, now I don't know just how that will work. Because then they got <laughs> for one low phenomenal fee, you two can rent the best computers ever. Yeah, and all, the ultimate thing about subscriptions, though, is is that you never have to worry about uh, uh, maintenance or any of that. You know, you just sort of turn it in at some time and you're done, right? I need yeah. it. Use it for a while and 
get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also you 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 know whatever. Once you've hit the term of your subscription, you can say, okay, I I I want to get a you know continue my subscription. I'll just upgrade to device A, B, or C. Right. Yeah. I mean that you know it's i mean difference between subscription and rental in my, and of course this is you know it's a fine line but in my mind if if it's a rental i rent you know device a for 6 months and there are two years or whatever and then at the end of that time it's you know it's like a lease you know you rent it and then you give it back in that time a subscription means that i just pay x amount of money and i get it and whenever something better comes out then i get the better thing because i'm paying a right. subscription right right so right you know, and they kind of yep. do that with their phones right now, right? Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. sign up and and just pay a flat monthly fee to Apple, and you'll get the newest phone always. Well, you know, uh, all of this business of subscription versus purchase, uh, <clears throat> I think, goes back to somebody wrote a book back when we first started in the RV, uh, RVing, and that meant early two thousands. I can't remember the name of the book now, but. <clears throat> I think I read a review of the book. And as a result of that, it didn't take very long at all that until businesses, and to me the most visible at that time, were campgrounds. And they had figured out a formula. In fact, it was even published uh, uh, by our... uh, uh, We were members of a campground association. And in their newsletter, it talked about how many uh, people would at a particular campground where you should have people living there full time versus those who came through and on a temporary basis, you know, which is your subscription basis versus the purchase. Now it wasn't really a purchase, but it was a long-term kind of a agreement, a lease type agreement. So that's sort of analogous to owning it. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, mm-hmm. kind of and, like an American honky tonk bar association. Well, the benefit of this from the campground (laughs) owner standpoint was that he had enough business to cover all his costs by his permanent renters. You know, that was you had to get over that threshold. That was the first objective. But then there was uh, any more than that, if you could, was, you know, it it was more stable uh, income then as to how much you'd make off your campground because your bills are covered. Now you're you got something that you can live on and certain standard living you want to maintain. But then you also wanted to accommodate people coming in and out because people like to visit. The campgrounds are noted for they have evening events or something. The, the good ones always have some, mm-hmm. something that bring, bring in the, the people and an overnight that come on down for the campfire and some song and dance or whatever. You know, there's always something going on at a lot of good campgrounds. They wanted to keep you there a while, and if you're enjoying yourself, you say, hey, let's stay another week, yeah. you know. So anyway, uh, I see that in, in other businesses now, and it's kind of analogous to this sort of thing. And I see Apple saying, hey, uh, we've got a lot of, we sell a lot of these things, but we ought to see what, how well uh, the profitability is if we just lease them. We, we might be able to make more money that way, and it'd be beneficial for certain people, like you said, maybe for the guys who always want to upgrade and get have the latest greatest, you know, they'd they'll go for that i mean there's all kinds of motivations for doing this but you can you can clearly not have to pay the full price up front to to have the device in your hands and that's a major thing for people who you know really can't afford the uh the big 
big down payment, if you will, to get mm -hmm. started. And most of these devices last you uh, quite a long time if you, if you don't really want to keep changing things. There are some people like your mom who, hey, I don't want to change things because every – in fact, she didn't even always want to upgrade. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I don't want change. my stuff to suddenly look different and then I don't know where it is. Right, right. Uh, and yeah, so I understand that. My wife's the same way. There's the downside to both, but the, they're trying to address all these different customers' needs and wants and, you know, foibles, whatever they are. Uh, yep. And so uh, I agree that they, they should do that, especially because they got the Apple Pay now. So when you go to buy something from Apple, you pretty much always put it on your Apple Pay or card or whatever. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things I was thinking about. I got this cash card. Well, that's where they always put the the cash interest that you get uh, for, for a lot of things, there's a little payment that comes, you know, uh, uh, I don't know if it's daily or weekly, but he, I get a notice that I got some more money added to my card, uh, and that's based on purchases, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I, a lot of those small little things, I mean, it's a little dime at a time, but it doesn't matter when you're dealing with it electronically, you can deal with small change. And, and that adds up after a while, but a lot of these is, uh, your mom will buy, she buys a lot of Apple books, you know, reads, yeah. reads books. And uh, and so there's a certain back, I, I don't know, what is it, 3% or 5% discount uh, uh, that that comes back into your Apple card. So I, I, I don't try to keep track of it, but I, I noticed it's getting to be real money now. So I'm thinking, hey, what am I going to spend that on, <laughs> you know? Of course, that's Apple's idea of the whole thing. You know, after a while, you you get enough money to do something, you attempt to spend it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the point of, of giving you those kind of kickbacks, right? It's to to Absolutely. develop that sort of uh, closeness and affinity for the company. So, yep. you know, that's yeah. why they do those kinds of things. They, there's there's that whole. Um, world of uh, marketing that is customer retention right and so it's yeah what can we do to to remind people that they like us <laughs> by, by the know, way i i got a, be a thing, i got a an email from amazon with a receipt and a even in a, a sales number and all that that looked like i bought a an apple iphone 7 or something like that well Yes, this is puzzling. What's what's this all about? Mm -hmm. And mom had just heard about this on TV. It's a, it was a scam. Yeah, you know, uh, it's not really I, I from mean, Amazon. No, not at all. And in yeah. fact, they spelled Amazon wrong, so they couldn't. Uh, they got uh, like A M A Z O O was a big O. It was a zero or something. O N yeah, Amazon. Yeah, so yeah. that was the only thing that kind of looked weird, you know. I don't know why they did that, but uh, yeah. apparently if, if they got caught, then Amazon could come after them if they used the same identical name. So, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of scams out there, and you've got to be careful, especially when there's an email that's coming unsolicited to you saying, hey, do this or that. What I've noticed is that I've been getting a lot of texts that do sort of the same thing, where they... They come in and they say, hey, you know, regards to our conversation the other day, you know, something, something, click on this link. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. I didn't have any conversation with you. I'm not clicking on any link. But I've been getting a lot of texts like that that sort of 
you know, and what they're doing is they're trying to do social engineering, you know, to get you to click on a link to give them some information about something and make their website look like it's someplace that's trusted, like your bank or like, um, you know, like Amazon mm-hmm. or something like that. And it's like, hey, you need to update your account. There's some information that's not quite right or something. And so they'll click on it and say, here, log in. And then suddenly now they have your login credentials, you know, and then you find right. out you bought, you know, 14,000 rolls of tailor toilet paper to be shipped to Zimbabwe. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm uh, I'm always very cautious and I've been lucky and not been caught on too many weird things like that where stuff happens. But uh, uh, nonetheless, I went and used, I, I use uh, uh, 1Password as a password manager. And one of the things that it does in addition to, I mean, it's built into the Mac OS now too, but it's one password also um, will uh, uh, work across multiple platforms, but it, it allows you to, to generate hard, you know, gobbledygook passwords for different websites. And a lot of major websites, it knows what their requirements are. Like, you know, some websites require that you have one capital letter and one non-capital letter and one non-letter character and one, you know, at least, and it has to be at least eight characters long or whatever. And so, but it cannot, you know, and some of them limit you. You can only be up to 16 characters long or others right. say, well, it has, you know, can be up to 20 characters long. And so whatever it is, one password goes in and creates a password that is as complex and difficult to follow uh, and randomized as much as possible for each of those different sites following their rules and then saves them for you and then automatically fills them in and uses uh, face ID to unlock. So when you're on your phone or uh, you can do that now. You do have to remember the password for one password, but that's the only password you have to remember is that one because then the mm-hmm. rest of them are in there. So I went through and changed most of my stuff not too long ago to tighter passwords. Um, I will say, though, that for some of like the streaming video shows, you know, like Netflix and stuff, there's yeah. enough times. It happens just enough times where it says, you know, OK, you've used it for a while. We want you to verify and put in your password again that there's no way on earth I'm going to put in a random string of 20 different characters for every different streaming service. And so I figured, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? Somebody could go in and, and uh, you know, change my password? Fine. I'll just cancel the service and quit paying for it and switch, you know, make a new one. Um, uh, but I'm not going to make it. So, I mean, I you know, it's not like I'm going to, you know, I'm not putting the word password in as my password, but I'm also not worried about making a huge difficult one because I'm not going to type it in every time it says, hey, you got to put your password again in. So I make it something that's a little bit more easy to remember and easier to type in. You know, uh, I'm getting more and more concerned about this whole business of all communications. It doesn't matter whether it's text, email, or phone calls, or whatever. Uh, I, I just ignore most, just about, I ignore all phone calls if it doesn't have a name come up. I don't know who they yeah. are. And if they really yeah, want to I call agree. me, they got to they got to leave a message, and I'll call them back. You know, that's the only way I. Yeah. Can, you know. Yeah, so. you know, it's it's the unless it's identified as somebody who I know and I want to talk to, I don't. You know, just let it go to voicemail, and yeah. you know, ninety percent of the time those calls don't leave a voice message, uh, and and of the ten percent of the times they do leave a voice message, it's. Uh, you know, they're they're probably, you know, nine out of ten of those calls are people I don't, or, or, or robocalls or somebody I don't want to talk to. 
you know, yeah. it's like they're just annoying trying to sell me something or, you know, I, I and so, yeah, I mean, it's like, OK, so maybe one percent of the phone calls that I get are actually, you know, that are unidentified or somebody. Oh, yeah, I need to call them back. You yeah. Know? You know, well, if I have a car in the, you know, in the shop or something, mechanic calls and it's like and I don't always recognize the number. And so I call them, you know, I'll call them back once they leave a message and go, yeah, hey, sorry yeah. about that. And with but, regard to emails, 10 or 15 years ago, I, I abandoned my Hotmail account with with Microsoft. I said, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm i not a Microsoft computer user anymore. I just don't need this. And so I just told as many people as I could that I wasn't, you know, uh, that no longer using that, that to yeah. d- delete that thing and uh, gave them a little bit of time if they wanted my email to send me an email and I might respond, you know, and tell them where to, where to go. But anyway, I'm about to do that now with the Apple stuff, you know. I've just got yeah. so much crap. Well, yeah, that's the problem is it all just, it becomes useless once that, once you get inundated with regular uh, garbage emails to the point where you, you can't even, uh, you know, use it. And so then you go, why am I well, doing this? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to spend my day sorting through emails trying to find the one that might be important to me. That, well, that's the problem. I'm missing mail from people that it is important because there's so much garbage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, there's not a good way to filter. Now, it's just the regular people that, that I don't miss because I can put them in a basket. You know, I have a little filters that you, I can what just set What do you mean by regular up. people? Well, if I'm a member of a, a club or something and I... And I know I'm going to get notices every month or whatever, and and, and more often than that even, then uh, I will put them in their email into a spe- special bucket, so that it uh, on the on my email account I've got a long list of buckets of from stuff right. from people, and then I don't have to go searching for them. I just know before uh, an event comes up, go look in the bucket and see what's there. You know. Yeah. Some, some, sometimes I got stuff in there earlier, and I wish I'd have looked at it earlier. But uh, you know, note notifiers are even such a hassle anymore. I I just turn off notifiers too much. I don't I don't look at them. It's too long. Yeah. No, there's just too much garbage out there, and it's it makes the tool useless. So I'm yep. with you. I don't think we have a good way of doing it. We need to, um, you know, there needs to be like verified communications. I I think the only a way that we can ultimately get this is where people uh, it's got to be biological we all need to be identified so I can't send anything except that's that's me you know it's got to be uniquely me in some way via my fingerprints my eyeballs whatever it is picture my face something yeah biological that says that's me and and well, the other you know person at the other end gets to see let's say my face that that says that's me, you know. Now maybe that could be fake too, because somebody's going to take a picture and say that's me. So it can't be just one. It's got to be right. a combination. Well, security people always say that you know that that the at least currently, I mean, it'll change over time. That you need to, it sh- you know, uh, identification should always be something you are, something you have, and something you know, right? Yeah. So, right. you know. You have usually a phone, right? And that has a unique identifier to identify the phone. And, you know, your fingerprint or or your face recognition is something you are. And then a password is something you know. So it should be a combination of those three things. And if, if all three aren't present, 
then it's like, yeah, I'm not sure who you are. Right. Yeah, there's got to be something worked out like that that because uh, it's getting just annoying. Uh, and and I'm sure people in business even have it worse. You know, I mean, I can't I can't imagine what business lines look like these days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, I. I... They, they were bad when I was working, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the, um, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, you, you can use email as a um, confident way of communicating with somebody. I mean, unless they confirm that they got your email and read it, you can't assume that they did because it can get lost in the the deluge of garbage emails that everybody gets. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem is that it's just, it's, it gets buried under piles of, well, and, and the other thing, this, this, this business of anonymity has just absolutely ruined the web. I mean, everybody, because they're unidentified thinks they can be a, a pure asshole, asshole or whatever you want to say. I, you know, yeah, it's just, it's just, totally out of hand these days but yeah. politically specifically because of all the political animosity right and yeah and, if you if you're not willing to stand behind what you say then then you should be limited in what you're allowed to say and i'm not one to say limit people but um but a lot of stuff on the internet should be that way at least we should have places in, where, where you have to be identified you know and you can't uh, just make another account and pretend to be somebody else you know um, now, I understand there's times when you do have to do things anonymously because you could be, you know, putting yourself or others at risk. And so you need to you need to be able to say something, uh, you know, to to be a whistleblower, uh, to call yeah. out a wrong or something without, you know, suffering retribution or, or you know, danger, endangering yourself or others. But um, but the whole idea of complete anonymity has created an atmosphere. It's it's like, you know, we've all uh, we I I. I I'll include myself, but I mean, I, I don't participate in, in, uh, in, um, social media very much at all. So, um, but you know, it seems to really have appealed to people with baser instincts. And so, you know, the better angels of our nature are not coming out in, 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 in social media. What happens is, is the, the, uh, you know, people assume that nobody knows it's me so I can, I can behave badly and it won't I, there will be no retribution and and so they do they they behave badly yeah. they treat people badly they say horrible yeah. things to each other and uh, and it and the, the level of discourse is you know s circling the toilet prior to the flush i think yeah so uh, by the way i downloaded parlor the other day i'm sure you've heard of that i have not what is parlor parlor is uh oh wait a minute we have talked about this we have talked uh, about it. We meant you mentioned it when you downloaded. I think last week. Oh, so well, go ahead and talk I, about it. it. Anyway, Parler is a uh, a Facebook or Twitter kind of a, a social media that uh, is modeled to at least their selling point is it's more like our uh, our country. First, the big the big biggie right now that they're advertising is they do not censor anything what you say is what other people see okay so they're not out there uh, uh, deciding 
anything about you except criminal activity, anything that, that suggests criminal activity. And I, I think, I don't know if they're waiting for a warrant or something from the police or something to help, but criminal activity, they absolutely help. Uh, well, they'll mm -hmm. cooperate with the police. And, and if they have any clues as a result of what is online that you're doing, undertaking criminal activity, then the rules change. Okay. Yeah. But other than that, it's free speech. Right. Well, but here's the key. They do verification. So when you create your account, they verify, they, they pursue some way of verifying that you are who you say you are. And phone number so, only. And so, um, you know, you can't, uh, is that all they do? They just send you a text and then you verify that you, that you're that number. So they call you on your on your phone to give you a code that lets you finish the login process. They literally call you, so you talk to a human who gives you a number. No texting. Oh, uh, texting. Okay, okay. So they verify your phone number. So yeah. I guess if I were to make up phone numbers, I guess I could. That wouldn't work. But if I had like a burner phone, I might be able to get more than one account. I could get a couple accounts if I bought a burner phone. Right. I suppose. In other words, you can buy those $25 phones and buy 10 minutes of time on them at the at, uh, grocery stores and Walmart. So you could yeah. do that if you really wanted to. But that means at least there's a cost involved, so it's not something that's going to be done you know, yeah. in en masse, right? Yeah. This this thing's been out there, it said, I think, 10 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it hasn't really caught on until other people are getting annoyed with uh, the, the censoring that happened in the election. And uh, apparently uh, the rumor was that a large number of Republicans, it was said, uh, and I think it was like three million or so that had signed up in one week. Uh, so I don't uh -huh. I haven't verified that. But there was a yeah. large number who had downloaded it, I, you know, compared to the other stuff on the page there. So uh, and in the social media category. So yeah. anyway, uh, I haven't had it very long. It works. Uh, not, doesn't work like Facebook, really. It works. I think I don't have a Twitter account, so I can't say that it works like Twitter. But mostly, uh, it's you follow other people, and they follow you if they want to see your stuff. Right. Okay? That's the way Twitter works. So, I, but I, Twitter I, allows you to put hashtags in about like whatever your topic is, and then you can people can also go in and search on a hashtag. And so, if you know, if a topic is I don't know, you know, hashtag Mac M1 processors, then, you know, 700 people could do a hashtag Mac M1s and then you could yeah. do a search for Mac M1 and you would see all of their 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 input on that topic. Yeah, I don't I didn't do much searching other than for some people uh, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, but there is a search capability and instead of hashtag, I think it was at. Yeah. No. Well, I like the idea that, that they're saying we're not going to curate anything. That It seems to me like they're making an attempt. We'll see how successful they are. I mean, if they've been around for a while, then they obviously had some success. But uh, they're making an attempt to, to address some of the issues that, that I think a lot of people agree are wrong with, with social media. Um, you know, and, and, and I think first and foremost of that is, you know, you are who you say you are, and that that trying to trying to do some verification verification is better than none. 
Um, yeah. Twitter actually has a function where they can, you know, there are verified accounts and there's unverified accounts, and most of them are unverified. And they were initially just verifying for like known people, like the president or like entertainers or somebody, you know, yeah. so that they could say, hey, this is really me. It was a verified account. I, you know, yeah. don't listen to this other account that's pretending to be me and saying I'm saying these things, you know. And so it was a way to protect people who were well known. Um, but apparently they've been rolling that out to everybody now so that anybody can go get verified and say it's me. And I think that at some point that makes sense to just switch over and say everybody, you know, if you have an account, it has to be verified. Uh, well, on, on parlor, you I, can read, but you can't post, right? Well, I don't see, so I didn't see anything that could keep you from posting. Uh, but parlor had on there uh, lots of other accounts by pe by people whose names all of us would recognize. But mm -hmm. the further you went down that uh, list, the less and less people I knew, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but that doesn't yeah. mean much. I, I'm there's a lot of a lot of people I don't know that young people know, you know. Right. So, so anyway, yeah. uh, they, they're trying to attract people by getting you to follow some, somebody that you know, you know. Yeah. So I haven't used it much yet, but I was just kind of, you know, introducing myself to it. And uh, uh, I read comments against it. You know, I think it was when I was going to download it. There was there's a place to comment on the apps, and there were people criticizing it, saying, "Yeah, as soon as they got a, a, a enough subscribers, then they'll sell it to somebody else for a multi million dollars, and they'll change the rules." You know? Yeah. I, I suppose all that can happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely, it can happen. You know, if uh, if uh, Facebook sees them as a threat, Facebook will either try to buy them or they will make a version of them and put them out of business. That's their that's their modus well, operandi as Facebook, and they're not the only ones who would be that way. Well, yeah. except that Facebook is probably going to get broken up now. It's getting real obvious that the, they they've bought all their competitors, and that those competitors uh, they're going to try to break those out. Yeah, because there's still some of them operating under their other name, but they're Facebook properties, and now Facebook just oh, yeah. hasn't uh, c consumed Instagram them yet. being the largest of those bunches because and and WhatsApp uh, are the two that were. Are still operating as independent entities that were, um, you know, yeah, largely I'll a threat to Facebook's users because they were drawing people away. Like Instagram, the 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 people who use Instagram, uh, you know, that target audience is significantly younger and uh, more um, uh, photo uh, emphasis. Yeah, there's a photo emphasis there, although uh, if you talk to people who are in that age bracket that use Instagram, they use that to communicate, whether there's a photo or not. Um, that's just yeah. their means of communicating. That's that's their preferred means. They they find out what's going on, what their friends have been doing. You know, that's how yeah. they do it. It's it's they don't use Facebook. They don't even use, you know, messaging, really. They use they use uh, they use Instagram. They call it the Insta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but as soon as they started getting a a large following, Facebook went, "Oh, well, rather than us having to make one of those, let's just buy that one." And so they offered them, you know, buckets of money, and voila. Yeah. So. Oops. Yeah, it's not unusual, I guess. Not unusual. So, you can buy parlor T-shirts and parlor sweatshirts. 
Yeah, yeah. One's got a microphone that says "Speak Your Mind." Well, Another one says "Not Here to Babysit." Yeah, uh, I <laughs> forgot they have a tr their own lingo too that they introduced. You know, like Twitter, sure. you tweeted. Uh, right. For I forgot what you do for these guys, but anyway, there's there's a lingo that goes with various sure. uh, things that they do. Uh, yeah. And in Henderson, of, Nevada. Yeah, instead of like you, um, gosh, what was it? it? Wasn't quite like like, but anyway. Yeah, I haven't gotten used to it yet. Encourage, obviously. support, <laughs> hug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, if you go to their um, their uh, uh, values page, they say they're people driven. Uh, they interact and communicate freely with real human beings. Any personal data shared on Parler is encrypted for your protection and never sold to outside entities. Parler empowers you with tools to keep your profile safe. Our moderation features allow you to curate your own experience. Parler believes in transparent relationships. We provide you updates and notifications to keep you informed about changes to the platform. Uh, minimalist community guidelines are formulated objectively and based on fair just legal precedent and business policy are enforced by a community jury are par parlayers their users are yeah, parlayers that's right. Parlay, uh, that's right regardless of race sex age sexual preference religion politics or dietary choices well except pineapple pizza every user is treated equally under par parlors community guidelines unless of course you like pineapple pizza i guess uh Discuss and defend your values, passions, accomplishments, and ideas in an environment that lets you be free of agenda-driven shadow banning. <laughs> adherents of all religions, as well as non-adherents, are welcome to converse civilly, to discuss solutions to pressing world problems, and hopefully come to understand that we are all more similar than we are different. You know, I mean, good luck to them. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I might take a look at this myself. I'm, like I said, I'm not a, a fan of of uh, social media in general, just because of of the you know bottom feeder experience that you have with most social media and uh and i think a lot of that's fed through like you said through anonymity because people can make mm -hmm. user accounts whenever you know whenever they want they just make a new news user account um and uh because they at least make take a step towards verification i mean it's not it's certainly not a verification process that can't be defeated but it's it's a it makes it easier or uh, it makes it harder for the average person to to, you know, make a bunch of of accounts and have one that they use to, to you know, burn people online. They don't, you don't need a flaming account. And so, uh, um, you know, the idea that you, you know who that the person you're talking to is the person they say they are because they've been verified, at least at some at some level is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, a uh, long time ago when I first got my Mac, I downloaded a program called Flipbook. Yep. And I haven't used it in the years. And I saw, hmm, wonder what they got anymore. <laughs> so I brought, brought it up yesterday, and they do have an Apple technology area. Yep. Which is which is a little different. I mean, they're, they're getting articles from other companies. Like there's an mm -hmm. Apple Insider article uh, that I'm looking at right now says Apple developing LiDAR mapping tech and touch-sensitive contextual dashboard for Apple Car. So, <clears throat> it's interesting. I haven't read that one, but... Uh, yeah. 
But that doesn't sound terribly surprising either. I mean, it's sort of like, okay, yeah, they've been testing LiDAR and self-driving stuff for a long time. And then the idea that they would have a touch-sensitive control surface, okay. Look at every iPhone and iPad in the world. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, (laughs) but it's not not an article that I've seen on other platforms. So, you know, maybe this is a, a good one in that sense. Yeah, well, realize that that is an RSS reader. That that's all Flipbook is. So you decide what you want that reader to go read, and you can then build out, you know, by by customizing it, you can decide what it sees. Now it may be looking at some sources that you don't normally look at right now because that's how you set it up when you last used it. But uh, um, you know, you can go in and customize it to look at whatever sources you like. Yeah, because that's it's just an RSS reader app that that presents stuff in kind of an interesting way. Um, now you said on the Mac. Are you actually using it on the Mac, or are you using it on an iPad or iPhone? On the iPad is what I'm looking at. Okay, okay. You said Mac, and that's why I was a little confused because I they oh. may have a Mac version. I've never used it on the Mac. I've used it on the iPad and the iPhone. But like you, I when it first came out, I kind of looked at it and went interesting, and then I don't use it that often. Um, yeah, and here, so here, here's an here's another title that jumped out at me: Cloudflare. I don't know who they are, and Apple. Design a new privacy-friendly internet protocol. Now, why do you think they would want a privacy-friendly internet protocol? Privacy, privacy-friendly, so that you can verify the person you're talking to. That's kind of what I was can... thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I read something about that actually last week too. And Cloudflare is a huge company on the back end of the internet. They do a lot of um, server things so um so anyway uh it's just another source of of data that uh identified a couple articles i might read uh yeah uh apple and google push location tracker x mode out of app stores Location Tracker X mode uh, must be the name of the app, huh? It is a development, an IDE that you can use when you're developing your apps. You can download their stuff, and it provides you some services to your app. But what they didn't tell people was, or if they did, it was in the fine print, is that it was also gathering information about your location and sending it off to other places and selling it. Ah, I see. That's what it's all about. Well, they'll yeah. get rid of so, it. Yeah. So it was a tool that people used to build their apps. And so you wouldn't know if an app that you use had used that as a tool when they were developing it. And the point was is that there's now a bunch of apps that had used this apparently for some service that they wanted to provide in their app that unwittingly were now also creating apps that collected information about you. And Apple discovered this and said, no, uh and so uh, the people who used that are being told, we're going to pull your app from the web, from the store. You need to go recreate your app without that tool. You know, duplicate that service, either write it yourself or find another chunk of code that you can lease or buy that will give you that functionality and, and doesn't do the bad things. Apparently, Tim Cook spoke at the United Nations a couple of days ago regarding climate ambition. Yeah, I read about that. I I saw the headline. I didn't really read much about that one. 
So Cloudflare, by the way, is an American web infrastructure and web security company providing content delivery services, denial of service mitigation, internet security, and distributed domain name services. So they do the uh, 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 DSN stuff. Uh, their services sit between a website's visitor and Cloudflare's user hosting provider acting as a reverse proxy for websites. Cloudflare's headquarters are in San Francisco. Okay. And they've been around for quite a while. Apple Music now available on Google Assistant Smart Speakers. Yeah. It's interesting so. that Apple is has been, you know, in their services department has been making that more and more available. Like there's yeah. a lot of TVs and streaming devices now that can can play Apple TV Plus. So you don't have to have an Apple device to watch Apple TV Plus. Um Apple Music has been available on Android for a long time, but it's interesting that they're now also making it available on on the Google speakers. And I think if they made a deal with Amazon, it's available on Amazon speakers as well. I think that had already existed. Yeah, a while a while back. So this is kind of interesting here too. Apple is working on a system to filter both terrestrial and internet radio stations by metadata or location, hinting at plans that in, involve AM or FM radio hardware. So hmm. uh, maybe we'll get radio stations, because uh, they show in a picture here is a whole bunch of different radio icons, and so it's like you can touch the icon and tune in, you know? Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to, on Apple devices, stream radio stations from all around the world if you want, huh? I think I think that's probably the plan. Mm -hmm. Well, if you remember, some of the early iPods actually had FM tuners in them as well, so that you could, you know, they did listen. Yeah, a couple of them did, so that you could, uh, if you were, um, you know, out listening to something music and you wanted to tune into a ball game or something you could do that and they actually used the uh wired headphones was the antenna so when you plugged in your headphones that became the antenna oh, for the thing right i'm in this article i'm reading it says uh none of these products contain the necessary am fm receivers for terrestrial radio they all use the internet in fact apple hasn't had a device with appropriate hardware for terrestrial radio since the ipod nano's brief dalliance with it there you go see my memory was correct yep confirmed have it, right it, there. One, it was the did nano. have it at one time yep okay so. anyway cool. there's uh whole bunch of u.s stations that we'll eventually be able to get well i like that that's cool because mm -hmm. because i like to go back and listen to ksal salina kansas you know mm -hmm. for information about my old stomping grounds when i was a kid you know yeah Just, and is that fact, the I, closest radio station to uh to uh, cocker city well i think there was one that uh a station, a new station after I left home that was started up uh, in Glen Elder of all places. And now mm -hmm. I think I think it's not one that where they actually have somebody live there most of the time. It's uh, pulling stuff off of internet channels, and I don't know how it works. But and then broadcasting right. it, you know. But to farmers, mm -hmm. that was the easiest way to get it out before they all had internet. And there's still a lot of them that don't have out in that part of the world, so they can get. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Uh, I would I'm, bet you that most of those people, st- if they don't have if they don't have wired internet, they're using the satellite internet. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, a lot of them do that. Yeah, my uncle yeah, which, was one of the first ones to have one of those great big dishes. You know, before yeah. they ever got the little tiny dishes. Yeah. I mean, I mean there's like, latency issues, but it but it works. Yeah. You know, the sucker was twenty twenty feet across. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember those those uh, early days of satellite radio. I, I remember selling selling six and eight foot dishes back when I was in college at the stereo store, and yeah. uh, you know this is all pre dish and direct TV, which now has like what about a twenty four inch dish? Yeah, I think my uncle John was the techie of his generation. I mean, yeah. whatever was out there, he had to have the, the first first one of some, you know, like the first television before we ever had TV. He had uh, one of yeah. the earliest TV sets. I mean, and we went up to see it. We were up at Christmas dinner. Uh, we always either had Christmas at our place or up at theirs. And we happened to be up theirs, and he he was showing off his new TV and his antenna that would rotate to the four channels that he could receive. A yeah. couple up point out in Nebraska. The, point it in the right direction so you could pick up a signal, huh? Right. And these were monster antennas that sat on his roof that rotated. Yeah. I mean, it was... Monster cool. antennas and tiny little TVs. Yeah, but uh, that's <laughs> well, and, the way. It... And, and a lot of snowy stuff, or we called it snow on the picture, yeah. you know. So you couldn't yep. see much of a picture. But boy, we had TV. That stuff has changed these days. You know, your family, though. I mean, your dad. I think that that they, you came by it honestly, and so did I. And that they were, you know, always sort of um, in tune with what's know. coming, right? Yeah, in tune with what's coming, we're technologically in, intrigued and interested. Um, you know, we're pushing the limits themselves in terms of ways to do things and just exploring. Um, you know, just a certain amount of curiosity there, and that, I, I, you know, part of that's, you know, how you're mm-hmm. raised. But I think part of that's just born into you. You know, some people are intrigued by stuff like that, and others are not. You know, mm-hmm. others are like, I don't care. You know, let's go plow the field, and others are like, well, wait a minute, we can plow the field better if we, you know did it this way <laughs> and so you know yeah just uh thinking i i i know you know we've talked about it you know your dad in fact we, I, we gave you i think a copy of the printout of of his uh patent application uh my daughter jensen went and printed the, found it and printed it out and framed it and gave you a copy of his his patent application for for uh oh well he was a high tech of, he was a high-tech farmer. He went out and did the research yeah. stuff for this manufacturing company. And yeah. I, re- I remember them going over and over different pieces of ground with this with this tool to see how well it worked, you know. And then they'd change out the, the, the wheels they had on it to a different design and say, how's that work? And then they'd mm-hmm. examine, examine both plots of ground and say, well, this looks better than that one for this reason or whatever. Right. So, mm-hmm. Trying to d- develop a way to turn the soil without losing your topsoil, right? Well, and without getting the uh, the machinery all clogged up in uh, in stubble and other weeds and other things. Yeah, roots and stuff, right? Created a problem until it, you know, ground to a halt. <laughs> so it was mm-hmm. a self cleaning tool. And that was a big part yeah. of the design. Uh, we need somebody like that to create a better vacuum cleaner that sweeps up and doesn't get the brush full of dog hair, right? Right. <laughs> We need those yeah. kind of people again. So, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I remember this... getting accused by a boss of mine that I was 
that I was being lazy. I think I've shared this before because instead of jumping in and doing something manually, I thought about it for a couple of days and then I came back and figured out how to do what used to be a couple hours worth of work in like 10 minutes because I automated it. Mm-hmm. And so I said, yeah, yeah. I took a couple hours worth of work and spread it over three days, but now I've solved the problem and it'll take 10 minutes for the rest of eternity. <laughs> so, so boss, I'm, I'm really only working half the time or less than what you're paying me for. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So you got any so other problems pretty. you want me to solve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. No, it's funny because he gave me a very backhanded compliment. He was actually very pleased at what I did, but he said, you know, I just, he says, you're the only guy I know that, that, that I give him something to do and he takes three times as long to do it and then comes back with a better way to do it. You know, it's like, okay, well, good. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember when, uh, just before I retired, uh, I think Boeing would have hired me too, if I'd have just indicated any interest at all, because I was working down at Boeing on a subcontract and, uh, Boy, were they had sent all their engineers over to pick my brains how to do various things that I had already demonstrated for them, because mm-hmm. they had they had a real mess of uh, and problems in their engineering department that had uh, cost them a lot of money to to fix, and uh, it was all had to do with poor communications between different engineering departments, and basically I I, I took all of their uh, uh, at the time it was all Microsoft stuff of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, all their Excel spreadsheets. Every engineer had their own set of Excel spreadsheets. And somebody wanted to know something, why they'd come and grab it out of their spreadsheet, put it in an email, and send it to the other guy who would then enter it into his spreadsheet. And, of course, there's typing errors and mm-hmm. whatever in the process of doing this, and it's complicated. So I took all of uh, I've got examples of everybody's spreadsheet that was critically involved in this to begin with from different departments and uh, see the data. I logged on the data and then I organized the database. Made one spreadsheet to rule them all, right? Access <laughs> database uh, had a visual basic behind it that I could access Excel, get it into mm-hmm. the database, and then everybody could have access to it through yeah. Excel or through access. Which through was access, database. yeah. Well, and the nice thing about a database is, is you can – enforce integrity of data that you can't in a spreadsheet a spreadsheet's just a cell that you can either lock or unlock database you can create rules that say you know your your value in here is picked from a drop down sheet because it's coming from somebody else's sheet you don't get to type it in that way there's no data mistakes you pick the pick the data out of their sheet or uh you know it has to you know you have date ranges so that you know if you're going to put a number in there a date it has to be between these ranges. So if you type in something accidentally outside the range, it you know it, it tells you you know you can't put that in here. That's the wrong. That's yeah. not a right number. And so. And, and then once I had a, a lot of this data from all the departments in the Excel data access, access database, uh, it turns out that the, the the real problem that we were down there to help work out was we were developing a. Uh, well, I guess I can't talk about it because it was classified then, and I don't know how classified it is today. But anyway, a, a space defense system, and right. uh, uh, the, the the capability for the satellite that they were working on was was actually manufactured and controlled by numerical control equipment 
you, you know what I mean by numerical control machines? That, that just meant you had digital data that fed into that device, and that data had to come from different departments. And, and then there were algorithms as to how it had to be scaled in order to, to control the machines. Well, anyway, before I left there, they were manufacturing most of their parts automatically by pushing a button on the computer that fed the numerical control machines operation to produce their product. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was using the latest information from all the engineering groups that was pulled off of that, this database that was controlled and, and it had a lot of classified data too. In fact, the, the whole system was in a secure area. So uh, anyway, that, that was a, a fascinating thing to do. And they were just so thrilled that they didn't have to go through with the hand calculations and to do all this stuff. Uh, I don't think it was really hand calculation, but it was hand manipulation of pieces of data from everywhere that went into the design and uh, control of, of what this machine was doing. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I still have the software for that <laughs> somewhere. It was Visual mm -hmm. Basic. And the other, that was the other thing is people were stunned as to how I built Visual Basic programs that would operate fast enough to control this machinery because there were some timing issues. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to, had to create all kinds of safety checks, you know, like uh, check some errors and stuff, you know, that you build into any communication system so that you can detect it if there's an error in the transmission. So mm -hmm. uh, anyway, uh, it turned out that my technique was quite simple. I, it was mostly lookup table. And Visual Basic was extremely fast in terms of table lookup because you had, they had several commands in Visual Basic that immediately executed assembly code <laughs> to go grab what you wanted out of these databases. And so I could make Visual Basic look like it was running assembly code fundamentally. Yeah. And and yeah. Uh, the way I developed that is I, I actually did a bunch of experiments with Visual Basic to time out how long it took to do things different alternative ways. And I found that table lookup was by far the fastest because of those functions they had built in. So that's that was my solution to any time critical activity as I would create that kind of a solution. And and fundamentally every problem that you can create a uh, an algebraic formula for can be built into tables. Yeah. You just map those formulas into tables. And, and uh, so anyway, it was, yeah. it was really interesting. Well, when you find a tool that has a strength in an area like that, that then helps you understand what's the right way to solve problems with that particular tool, right? Because that tool has that strength and it's like, okay, oh, yeah. if that's... If that's the, the the way this tool works, then let's take advantage of that and, and do as much as we can in terms of of creating tables we can search into. Because well, it see, quick. there was a way to build an assembly interface, and you could you could hook hook uh, assembly code subroutines and all individual basic. And I was aware of that, so I knew that I could solve the problem, but I didn't want to have to. I didn't want it to be messy. I wanted it so that somebody could maintain the software and stay by staying in a high-level language, and mm -hmm. uh, so therefore it was much much easier to just do everything in Visual Basic because I never ended up do, do it, creating one assembly assembler language uh, 
interface, you know, just didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. So, anyway, it was it was a lot of fun. I was I, I love programming because it was like a little jigsaw puzzle in a way, and and you know how I used to be about jigsaw puzzles on holidays. My family used to, <laughs> has bought me these fifty thousand piece puzzles, you know, so that yeah. I'm spending the entire holiday putting the pieces together. Because yeah, I at some point you're resenting the people who gave you this stupid puzzle, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean though. It's you know, and and solving puzzles is fun, whether it be you know, a jigsaw puzzle or, you know, uh, a murder mystery or whatever. You know, that's what that's what's intriguing about murder mystery books, right? Is it solving the puzzle, yeah. you know? Yeah. And if it's well-written, the the clues are there so that you can solve the puzzle before they just tell you, right? Ideally, right. You, you're, you know, they're, they're dropping hints and clues as you go along so that you can try to figure it out as you go if you're paying attention. Yeah. But you got to pay attention. And, and there's certain storylines so that if you watch them long enough, you kind of know the butler did it or something like that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was just I was just uh, watching the other night. I I never read a, a Nancy Drew mystery. Have you? But mom said she had read a couple, but she was bored by them. But yeah, they were, they're they're very and, simplistic. They're they're written for for teens and preteens. And I, I read I, one yeah. years and years ago. Anyway, I don't know why it was on. Maybe the uh, author of the series uh, passed or something, or celebrated mm -hmm. some birthday or something. But yeah. anyway, there was a show on it, and so uh, uh, I, when you when you said mystery, that immediately came to mind since we just saw it. My, your mom always likes mystery kind of stories. Mm -hmm. Anyway, if you as a category. Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. She's not the only one. A lot of people do because the, the idea of trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, she was um, the mystery uh, or the, the Nancy Drew was was published uh, as a sort of counterpart to the Hardy Boys. And the character first appeared in books in 1930s and uh, uh, was created by a guy named Edward Stratemeyer. Um, but the stories were written by lots of different people over periods of time. That's they right. Uh, you this... know, they were, uh, um, it was like, a, a, a line of books that, uh, were yeah, written they by were, tons of they different were, people. They were honoring the lady who was sort of the last of the series right. of authors. And I don't think there Carol was a Keene. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Carol Keene, K E E N E. Yeah. And I, I don't know if it was her birthday or just what, but something like that. Yeah, anyway. there were a bunch of... Uh, oh, okay, here is... A, consistent with... Uh, it was a syndicated property, and Nancy Drew novels were written by various writers, all under the pen name Carol Keene. Oh. Okay. So, in accordance with the customs of their syndicated series, ghost writers for the syndicate sign contracts that have sometimes been interpreted as requiring the authors, authors to sign away all rights or future royalties. Contact states the author cannot use their uh, pseudonyms independently of the syndicate. In the early days, Ghost Rides were paid a fee of $125, which was roughly two months' wages uh, mm -hmm. to write a book. Hmm. During the Depression, it was lowered to $75, but uh, obviously went back up over time. The syndicate yeah. has instructed the Library of Congress not to reveal the names of the Nancy, Nancy Drew authors, a move which the Library of Congress has complied with. Hmm. I'll be darned. I didn't know anything about that. 
Yeah. Up until 1979, he and one of his two daughters wrote outlines for the novels. So they would write the outlines and then hire a ghostwriter to then write the the finish of it. And let's see. Harriet Adams wrote most of the manuscripts uh, from the 50s until her death in 1982. Nancy Axelrod. Uh-huh. The rights of the characters were sold in 1984, along with the entire syndicate, to Simon and Schuster. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Who knew? I mean, this is not stuff that you know has anything to do with tech, but it's just interesting how that all works out. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, back to the whole idea of of the the idea of of mysteries, right? You know, who stole the the the, the Maltese Falcon? Things like <laughs> that. You know, it it's intriguing. Yeah. It's a puzzle, and people like to try to work their way through puzzles and figure it out. That's why well, those um, escape rooms are popular. Have you read about those? No. I mean, obviously, in COVID, they're probably not doing them. But what you do is you and a group of friends go for dinner or, uh, or a party, and you go to this room, and they lock you in. And then inside the room, it's like it, – and the room is set up like somebody's kitchen or somebody's living room or something. And inside the room are clues as to how to get out of the room. And, you know, it may be like and you have X amount of time. You've got like two hours to get out of the room. And obviously, I mean, they've got like, you know, restroom facilities if you need to get out, you know, do that. But um, but you've got like two hours to get out of the room. And and it can be things like, oh, you've got to under you've got to move the couch out of the way. And underneath the couch, there's a dial and you've got to set the dial to one o'clock. And then you've got to take the clock on the wall and set it to one o'clock. And if you if both of them are set to one o'clock within 60 seconds, then the door will pop open. You know, things like that. But, I mean, there's all kinds of hints and clues and things in the room giving you a hint as to how to figure out how to get out. And there are different levels of complexity. And apparently they've become quite popular for people's, uh, you know, things to go out and do with friends. Well, right now, food's going to get popular with me. Tis time to eat, <laughs> huh? All right. Well, you go enjoy your lunch. It's uh, it's not, it's only, it's. 10 o'clock here. It's just before 10 o'clock. Apple is supposed to release, or I should say supposed. Apple generally releases uh, software updates at 10 o'clock Pacific time. So in the next six or seven minutes, we'll see if they release um, iOS 10 or 14.3, which will be the one that then supports the the, uh, new Apple Fitness Plus. So we'll see if that happens. And I guess we can talk about it next week, because if it does come out, I will... uh, I'll try to do a couple exercises over the course of the week and see how it works. See what I think. Oh, you'll, plus. you'll be skinny then, huh? Well, <laughs> I don't don't count. I'll probably be just tired and cramped up and and injured and cranky. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, one can yeah. only hope, right? Yeah, so. it's been fun, Todd. It has. Have a great day. I'll talk to you again next week, if not sooner. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>